Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast, where every week I keep you updated on the latest trends and how-tos in coworking. I owned and operated coworking spaces for eight years and then served as the executive director of the Global Workspace Association for five years. And today I work with hundreds of operators and community managers every month, allowing me to bring you thought-provoking operator case studies and inspirational interviews with industry thought leaders to help you confidently stay on top of what's important and what you can apply to your own role in the co-working industry. Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast. This is your host, Jamie Russo. Thanks for tuning in today. So a couple things before we dive in. One, I've gotten a bunch of comments about the most recent episode before this. Three things you should do before the end of the year. And one of those things is make sure you have an annual increase in place. And my Academy members are going to get some language to use for their agreements. So plug and play. If you're thinking about that and you've been thinking about the Academy, it might be time to jump in. You can learn more about that at everythingcoworking.com forward slash Academy. I also want to give a shout out to our most recently certified community, sorry, co-working community managers. I have always sort of tongue-tied on that. I love alliterations, but Precious Martin at Pursuit Coworking in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and Bree McMillan at Burbidi Workplaces in Workspaces, sorry, in Spokane, Washington. Congrats to both of you for completing your certification. I am super excited about an upcoming training that we have. So I, every month we do a live training for our community managers. Sometimes I do them and sometimes I find really good experts either from within the industry or not to come in and deliver on a specific topic. So a couple months ago, we did some sales training on giving a tour. And we had one of the nominees for this year's community manager of the year that the GWA does. He did some sales training for our group and he was amazing. Thank you, Adam Zeno. And this month, we next week, we are doing a training on how to handle challenging members. So members who maybe are not getting the etiquette of working in a co-working space, members who aren't paying on time and constantly require reminders. Sarah Reclugia, oh gosh, Sarah Reclugia is going to join us and deliver that training. She has a background in commercial real estate and doing training for Compass um, but also has has an organizational, I think it's organizational psychology degree from Columbia. Anyway, she's fantastic. She totally gets it. She works out of a co-working space. Um, it has saved her in her, as she's gone out on her own and she's going to deliver that training and I'm super excited about it. So that it will be November 3rd. I think it's November 3rd, the first Wednesday of the month. So if you want to jump in on that, then register for the program before then everythingcoworking.com forward slash community managers. Okay. Today's guest is the COO at Pacific Workplaces. Pacific has, let's see, I think we've talked about this on the episode. I'm going to call it 17 or 18 locations, originally very Bay Area focused in their portfolio, but they have recently expanded to 
Las Vegas and Phoenix. So there's so many things I could talk to Scott about. So Scott and I met at a Juicy conference back in the day, must have been 2012. So that was a long time ago. I was fairly new to co-working, but had my space in Chicago. And we ended up partnering on the location that I did in Palo Alto. Pacific Workplaces was upstairs. So super interesting arrangement. And I learned a ton from their organization. They have been running shared workspaces for 20 years. And for those of you who think this just started, it did not. And Scott and Laurent and Becky and they just Tracy Wilson was on their pack team, cloud team. Now it's super just really an outstanding leadership team. Um, I'm sure they're Keith. I'm sure there are other folks that I'm leaving out, but an incredible team, incredible experience. They just really know how to do things, but they're also constantly evolving. So they are doing new locations. They're super smart about the way they run their business in general. Laurent is super big visionary, an amazing negotiator. Same with Scott. They just, they do great deals. And I would love to talk to him about the deals that they're doing. Scott was on a panel at the GWA conference on deal structure. But really today, I wanted to talk to him about team. One of the things that keeps coming up in our academy on our monthly calls is you know, expanding and just that tension around growing your team when um, the cash flow is you know barely there, but you're trying to grow and you're trying to get to a second location and sort of, you know, how do you grow that location team, but also, you know, to to support new locations, but also the leadership team, like handling marketing and how do you do that? Do you do it internally? Do it externally? So I knew Scott would have some great perspective on that. So we kind of dive a little all over the board, but we get to the team topic and it's just a great conversation with Scott. He's super smart and super transparent. He was also the GWA president when I took on the executive director role. So he was the president for two years, I think, but was involved in the board for a long time. And it's just like a really committed, helpful member of the industry. So thank you, Scott, for everything that you do for the organization. And I know you guys are going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, let's dive in. I have to capture your enthusiasm for the the Pack Day event. No, the, the Pinos Palette was such a fun event. We held it out at Garay Winery in Livermore. I'm in the beautiful wine country there and not the Napa, but it's it's the one that's one valley down. And, you know, we had our presentation in the morning where we informed everybody in the company what was going on and sort of our vision and our accomplishments. And the theme was painting the future. And the, the oh. concept around that was <laughs> leaving COVID behind and let's paint a new picture. Let's Okay. Let's... I love that. I love that theme. Wait, did you come up with that theme or did the Pinot painter people come up with that? The first step was to pick the activity and the location. And then as we did that, then the MGA group got together and said, hey, what do we want to do? And Paint the Future was one of the you know brainstorms that came. Probably, I don't remember exactly whose idea it was, but I think it was probably a combination of Laurent and the marketing team. And so from then there, we went out of selection. So we, we chose a, a a beach sunset scene with, I think if you viewed it, why well, you really could view it as a sunrise, right? The sun is rising. So I like it. Totally yeah. like it. So it was super, super fun. I, I but thought anyway. maybe that was your view of the future, like retiring to a beach somewhere. Oh, well, that always <laughs> is, though. I mean, I was, it, was my, it was my year. So I got to pick the, you know, I had the final say on the picture. So, okay. of course, absolutely. You know, as I always tell people, it goes with the gold chains and the olive complexion, right? I belong, exactly. I belong somewhere on a beach somewhere. Totally. Right? 
fortunately <laughs> get to spend time doing that throughout the year and and all that. How you been? I'm good. I know. We. I feel like I got to hang out. I mean, a little bit like a walk back from karaoke with you at the at the conference. You know what though? In the context of a conference. That serendipitous moment, if that's what we get, that's what we get, right? And that was super fun. It was, that was, it was such a fun evening. night, totally. And the walk back was just, you know, part of that captured time with friends and, uh, you know, no heavy itinerary on it. And it was all Thank good. goodness somebody thought it was time to leave and that there should be a group walk back to the hotel at that point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a couple of years of experience teaches us that being the last one out really is never a good plan. It's just never. It's too much fun to feel good all day than it is to stay out all night. So there's a blend. Yeah, there's exactly. the balance <laughs> called experience. <laughs> okay, speaking of experience, Scott, you just hit 20 years. Is that right? Did I see that on your LinkedIn or are you at 19? Uh, right around 20. I think. Right around 20. I know. Okay. And I related to that. I was like, when was the last time Scott was on the podcast? I always think it's been more recent than it has. Do you know what year it was? Did you also look at this or do you just know it? I don't know it, but I'm going to assume it was pre-COVID and it was early on in your podcast. <laughs> I, was one of the, I was one of the original ones. I you think. were one of the original ones. And I like was sure I'd had you on since it was 2015. Oh, wow. Right. That's almost that's almost embarrassing for both of us. Exactly. That's what I thought. I was like, you're kidding me, because I had this huge list of questions. And I was like, did we talk about this last time? No, we did not. So, yeah, we need to have you on more often. Congrats on the podcast and just all the training courses and the just everything, your whole following of people that, that consult with you and, and you give advice to and just tip of the cap. I mean, super fun. I've known you all oh, these years and I, been your I partner was... in other ventures and now. Uh, watching this from the sidelines is super special. Well, I feel like right back at you because you guys are also off and running. I mean, like yeah. 20 years and then and now these might be the most exciting yet to come. That's funny. <laughs> I, look for, I look for I look forward to kind of sharing that with you and, and, and ah. just going back and forth on what we see out there. Um, I know. Super, OK, super well, exciting times, right? We, I, I feel like we come from guys... the most challenging time ever yes. to some of the most optimistic and, and exciting times. So, I mean, so much has changed. Since 2015, you were number 11 and we're on this. I think our number's a little off in our draft mode in the 270s. <laughs> so I know. Oh. Well, and I wasn't weekly super consistent at the beginning. A couple of years ago, I was like, we're weekly. We're, we're going to know like, you know, rain, snow, hail or whatever the, the post office motto is. We're posting every week. Okay, so... Since it's been so long, I was like, everybody's going to know who Scott is because he was just on. No. Okay, I'll start. You fill in the blanks. Hey, we'll be right back. I just want to share a couple of opportunities from our show sponsors. As a co-working space owner, you are always looking to provide more resources and programming for your members, right? How about access to financial education and even investment opportunities? Well, Numina is the number one community for freelancers and founders looking to grow their businesses. So Numina and co-working spaces go together like peanut butter and jelly. We found that over 75% of our community already work in or are seeking out a co-working space. We'd like to help our members connect with you and find your space anywhere in the world. 
So join our co-working space directory to be featured in our community and give your members access to a whole library of entrepreneurial resources and financial education programming, all at no cost to you, by the way, visit numina.pro forward slash coworking to fill out an interest form. That's N-O-U-M-E-N-A dot pro slash coworking. We will include that link in the show notes for anybody who's walking around and doesn't have time to write it down. You can find it in the show notes for this episode at everythingcoworking.com. Numina, financing the future of work. The amount of opportunity in the coworking industry is absolutely mind-blowing. It's projected to grow by $13 billion in the next five years. Just staggering numbers. Now, you've probably seen Success Magazine. It's hugely popular and focuses on professional development, personal development, and business coaching. Well, they're branching out with their own franchised co-working business called Success Space. It's actually a brilliant franchise model with three revenue streams, recurring and on-demand revenue from co-working memberships, a full-service cafe, and success certified business coaching for small business owners to executives. To learn more about this exciting new co-working business opportunity, check it out at successcowork.space. That's successcowork.space. We will link that up in the show notes as well. So you and Laurent have been doing this for a long time and I can't remember your origin story. So you have to like, Briefly, because we have so much to get into, mentioned how you got started. But when you guys got started, it was executive suites and nobody thought this model existed. (laughs) Anybody in it today thinks we just got started. You guys have been doing this for a long time and run an incredible company that's still growing. So that's why I can't wait to hear, you know, what's next. So you did this for a long time. You saw co-working coming. You were the president of the Global Workspace Association when I first got involved. So mm-hmm. leadership roles in the industry, always looking at kind of what's next, which I'm excited to hear about. Made it through COVID. I'm sure we could do lots and lots of debriefs about how you guys manage that because I think you have an incredible leadership team. We need to get you guys out on stages more often. You also were on a panel at the recent GWA conference in Frisco. Yeah. So you guys have been doing this for a long time. How many locations now? Uh, 19. We're going to go to 2020 20 towards the end of the year. We're going to, we're opening up Midtown Phoenix as we get into the new year. So yeah. that's starting. So Vegas, start- Phoenix. So you've been very strict Bay Area for a long time. Bay yeah. Area slash like Bakersfield. Yeah, mostly NorCal, Sacramento. We've got a good yeah. footprint down in Sacramento. Reno's uh, doing quite well and survived. Uh, actually, one of our better performers during COVID, given the influx of people coming from California into the Reno Basin. Right. That was a, a good performer. Went down into Vegas. That's up and running. Um, we're going to go into Midtown Phoenix. Candidly, we just we're looking to expand with landlords that understand us and understand the concept. And you know, one of the things we'll get into in a little bit is sort of, you know, the, the most exciting part of of what we see moving forward is our supplier side, and uh, and the willingness of you know when I say suppliers for anyone that knows sort of at a, at a macroeconomic level, it's our landlords, yeah, it's the building owners. Yeah. And their mindset, knowledge, and understanding, both as we went into COVID and now 
the great thing coming out of COVID, and we could talk for hours on the bad things, and I prefer just to turn the page, yeah. it, is the disruption in the workforce and the uh, the power shift to the consumerization and the employee being able to say when and where. And there's a tug of war going on right now. We know that. There's the large tech companies that really want everybody back in, and all the employees said no. And so we find a tug of war, and we're going to go through a, a mild recession from what I think most people can understand. We're probably already in one. There's layoffs at certain companies. There's hiring at other companies. So it's going to go through a period of time, six months, 12 months, you know, maybe the next couple of years uh, where that tug of war will continue. But I think ultimately uh, the employee wins because by the employee winning, everybody will win in the long run, right? The quality of life is important as we evolve into it. You know, we're well mature into an information society and we want to work hard and then we want to play hard. And sometimes logistics gets in the way of that. And so you know, we don't want to always be stuck in Silicon Valley or downtown San Francisco or downtown Manhattan. We want to be out closer to where we're going to go recreate or be with our family and more affordable. Uh, for some people, it's an economic decision. They just simply get a much better quality of life by getting out of the big cities. I think there'll be an arbitrage on that in some of the cities. I know in San Francisco, housing is still really, really expensive. But my belief is that office space is going to become a lot more affordable in the next 12 to 36 months. As we learned at GWA with all the Leases expiring in the next twelve to twenty-four months across the the nation. Really, there'll be a, there'll be an inflection point there. Well, they're going to have to start lowering prices and to get people back in and refill the cities. So, yeah, I'm curious. You know what your sentiment is on so Vegas? You're downtown. Yeah, we're downtown. Yeah, and Phoenix, Midtown. You mentioned. Midtown, not downtown. Midtown. Um, yeah. Okay. Competitors and competitors in the area are full, doing well and did well during COVID. So it's a Midtown Phoenix pulls from all the greater Phoenix suburbs uh, into the downtown and Midtown area for people to come to a centralized place to do business. And we will be the best product um, in a very good location with a very good landlord partner right there in the heart of it. It's going to be a brand new build out, which I think that's one of the the real exciting things is when we're finding uh, the right supplier um, who's willing to, to write the crooked check for the tenant improvements. Um, I mean, in, in in parts of our world, we're, you know, going between 100 and $120 a square foot now, which still is cheaper than some corporate build outs, but a lot more expensive than yep. you know, just spec space. Um, but it's all glass. It's all LED lighting. It's open space and privates. It's uh, more smaller private offices, but not tiny boxes that we, we have some single private little small ones. But, you know, still that two person, some threes, much less team rooms. Um, that's not our that's not our bread and butter. Yep. Industrious can have that and other other suppliers we work can can do those probably better than we can, better than we're willing to. Um, we're not willing to take the risk on those. They're great when they're leased at high margins and then really a lot really of bad when they're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, that's not really what we're going to cater to a little bit more. Our open space is becoming more creative with with respect to it just can completely go from a work area to an event area. A lot of a lot of uh, operators have done that in the past. We're getting better at it. Our Vegas is is just a gem. I mean, that design came out great and we're extrapolating that design into Phoenix. We did a little bit of it in J Street, downtown Sacramento, but the the build, you know, you have to kind of also live with the building that you're given. Uh, yeah. That footprints and the event space is good, but not quite as good as say Vegas and Phoenix will be. So, but that's, you know, all electronic locks, all new lighting, bright and finish, everything's new. And I think that the consumer, as you come out of COVID and, you know, for many parts of the country, they're well out of COVID. For other parts of the country, they feel like they're just coming out of it. And that's a societal thing as to how COVID was was handled by different parts of the country and different parts of the world for that. 
clean, new, and nice is going to be attractive, right? So as we turn over some of our older portfolio and our older buildings and leases expire and we can either redo them or move substantially similar, stay in the market, but get new space, it's no different than we, when we go to a hotel. You know, we want clean, we want nice. If you if you think about one more piece of the COVID, I guess we're going to talk, I guess it's going to happen, right? <laughs> you get right. <laughs> we'll try to leave it behind. But. <laughs> but, but think about this, right? Are you bummed that when you go to a restaurant now that the table and chairs in the bar area is typically wiped down on a very regular basis and that the restrooms are cleaner and that just generally functioning in society and shared spaces is just cleaner? It's like, you know, it should have always been that way. Yeah. But hey, so what? We take that as a positive and let's continue those habits. And so it's the same with our spaces. People want nice, new, clean, fresh, bright. Totally. They want to feel energized. They don't, they want to get out of that bedroom. They want to get out of that claustrophobic feeling. And uh, away we go. So, but that's been positive for you because, you know, when you're in a location like Palo Alto for decade, how long were you in Palo Alto? We were there, I want to say 15 years and the build out was at right. least 10 to 15 before we were there. I was like, you know, by the end of the end of the life cycle when the lease finally ended and it got yeah, redeveloped. Yeah, but you can't get a landlord to write to help you with TI, right? You have, I mean, it's like well, so challenging. It's, a, it's really not every landlord's going to be for us. Or for flex. Right. Um, I think as, you know, your other podcast partner, Gio, would know, you know, some landlords are flex excited and flex willing. Yeah. And they can see the longer term coupon that they can clip and they can ride the the ups and downs with creative management contracts, participating leases, retail approach to leases in a, in a commercial office. I think those guys are going to win, but it all comes down to what their investors and capital structure is and willingness yeah. and risk tolerance and all that, you know, every, every asset has got a different set of circumstances, but yes, uh, in Palo Alto, it was a mom and pop and moms and pops typically don't want to write the hundred dollars square foot, you know, without it being collateralized to, you know, 80 bucks of credit. They don't want to take any risk. Um, even if they've had you for 15 years, they're still really nervous to, to do that. And so that backstreet building got sold and, and we didn't close down that location. But by the way, you know, in the heart of Palo Alto, a phenomenal location. It took right, it which you guys of- like ran, you know, amazingly, even without the bright, clean, new. So, but it's probably fun for you to now be, you know, it's easier to find the landlords that are flex friendly, you know. As it, you really, it. it really is. And, and, and I think, you know, when you and I are kicking around some ideas about, you know, things we could catch up on, what am I most excited about as we move forward from here, you, you know, whether it's the next five years or 20 years, it's two things. And they really kind of come, they work together. The two things are the suppliers, the willingness of new and existing landlords that that we've got relationships with and that other operators have relationships, whether you're a single operator or two locations or 80 locations, as one of our friends has, their willingness to understand that flex is a part of the future, that it's been good to them in the past. Yes, it's not perfect. We do this is the economic one-on-one for everybody. We buy long and we sell short. The way that knows economics knows you buy long and it goes up. It's good. It stays flat. Not bad. It goes down. <laughs> and when it goes way down, <laughs> you know, you can't service a hundred dollar a square foot lease if the prevailing under market goes to 65. It's just very, very difficult. Maybe you can, but at the end of the day, those things become difficult. So that is where the lease structures are changing. Partnerships are entering. Participating leases with minimum performances are coming in. Uh, profit sharings are coming in. No two deals are identical, but there are some, some substantial similarities because 
underwriting still requires a lease in many cases. And so you find ways to structure a creative lease uh, that gives the landlord what he needs for his lender or his finance partners. And then you give them something that enables you to ride the ups and downs. And really in the long term, if you think about the investment that goes into our spaces and how we can ebb and flow a little bit, they're on, they're buying the building to, to underwrite and be part of that underlying real estate risk. They like the location. They like the block. They like the building. They like the long-term potential. Well, now they got to get tenants that you know ride that with them. But if they're buying long and they're expecting their building to appreciate, then they should be willing to do that. And many are. And the flip side, the other thing I really am super excited about moving forward is is the reason that what I just mentioned is happening on the supplier side is because the demand curve changed. Very long ago, when you go to a cocktail party, you do what? Right. You, right. You <laughs> I know you, you spent you a lot of years. <laughs> it's a virtual office, right? Right. Um, now it's it's like, oh, yeah, that's what Scott does. That's what, that's what his company does. And it's totally different. So and that is because of the, I think, a few things. One is the disruption of people wanting to work more flexibly. And we have to acknowledge that Regis was the first to do it on a broad marketing basis. And we work for good or for bad. I think at the end of the day, we'll find out that it was mostly for good with respect to the broad branding of Flex and outsourcing office space and workplaces and services. Laurent has patented um, or trademarked those brands and the willingness of companies to embrace it. And now with employees demanding it, that's it. It's, it's all came together. And so that's what we're most excited about is setting up these newer, nicer facilities as we you know, refresh our existing portfolio and add to it um, and supply this moving forward. Super exciting. So what was the trigger to move out of Northern California or not move out of, but in addition to expand into other markets? And will you look to do multiple locations or are you okay with one in a market? Um, we prefer to cluster. We always have. And so it's really a case of getting into the market, getting established and getting going. Human resources, our friends over at Google, you know, a lead for San Francisco is often a lead for San. Excuse me, for those of you that know the San Francisco Bay Area, it's a lead for San Mateo. It's a lead for Walnut Creek. They just happened to go to the San Francisco landing page and then realized, oh, our employee lives out in the suburbs. It's no different than in Vegas. It's going to be no different in Phoenix. You know, it's like, oh, I really wanted to be in Scottsdale or I really wanted to be in Tempe or, you know, I didn't, you know. So anyway, so eventually we'll want to we'll want to expand those. We'll do those on a case by case. So two reasons we went into those external markets. One is a landlord partner that uh, believes in us and um, made the negotiation a win win. Came to us and said, "We want flex in our space. We'd like you to be the operator." You know, and, and worked out a deal. And the other is in this current window, the economics in some markets outside of the San Francisco Bay Area uh, simply pencil better. The asking rates in some markets here in our in our you know backyard haven't quite matched up with a ramp up reality. <laughs> <Don't reflect>. Yeah, <laughs> and I think and I think that's where we'll have to see if it if that reality check the pressure on that reality check is tenant improvement costs. But if a landlord can do it at X rent in other markets, the landlords can do it in this market at X rent. So it just you know that's just going to be they're going to have to readjust. There's going to be some readjustment. Um, for those of you that have, you know, 401ks or outside investments in real estate, there's a little bit of overvaluation in some some space. Flight to quality, yes, but you can't have 25 million square feet of vacant sublease space and direct space in a major market and it's not expect at some point the next thing that breaks is price. And, you know, who's going to make them break them is the lenders, right? Yeah. So you, speaking of flight to quality, you're mostly in class A buildings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
All of our new stuff's class A, but we don't go out and race out. We don't want to be, I don't want to speak for what we don't want to do because really <laughs> it comes down to the deal and the partnership and the risk. We don't race out to be in trophy buildings, right? I'm really good with an A minus building. I'm good with an A building, an A minus building, you know, B plus, you got to be careful depending upon what the whole economics of the situation, yeah. the actual location and things like that. Uh, you're going to have a flight to quality when you have uh, high vacancy rates as typical. So no, I mean, it's, we, we definitely want to be in A buildings and nice buildings. And then typical floor plan, what are you looking at as you expand? You know, we've done as small as 10, which we don't love, but we'll, we'll do those. And those become more doable in this day and age because of the drive in virtual office and meeting rooms that's, you know, meeting rooms are coming back pretty big. I think, you know, out here in the, in the Bay Area, we're probably one of the last to fully recover on the meeting room side because of the change in, in population and usage and things like that. But that's coming back. But virtual office, you know, now 31% of our revenue stream, you can run out of a slightly smaller footprint and, and make the economics work really well. So for those out there that might listen to this in the future, that your virtual office business is, is not something, you know, I know, I know us industry I know veterans we can do have a whole talked about it for on. years and years, and I know you probably <laughs> have done some. And there's some people out there, my partner Keith would be a better one to talk to about that. Okay, I'm going to have to hit Keith up when he's but, not hiking around Hawaii or wherever he's. Yeah, like, or he did the Yosemite, <laughs> he did the John Muir Trail this summer. Yeah, I, Unbe- I mean. Unbelievable was out there. I think he was out there for 17 days or 18 days or maybe, again, Keith, if you hear this, uh, if you're there for 20, I'm not trying to shortchange it. Um, yeah. It was a walkabout in my opinion. I was like, oh boy, you know, if the door opens to the outside. I'm camping, right? If the window slides open, (laughs) I'm camping. That's it. That's been known for years. All my friends know that's Scott's idea of camping, right? Anyway, he did the real deal. So, (laughs) really, I think 12 to 14,000, 15,000 feet. I mean, that's really okay. So, you're not going to 20 yet? No, and I don't think we will because in most markets that we operate in, the rent becomes a much higher risk when you go to 20. If I can keep a 15,000, 90% full, I'm good. Yep. Whereas if I keep a 20,000 foot, 85% full or 80% full, I'm probably chasing my tail and doing a lot of turnover. Um, I know in other markets, I have have some good friends down in Texas and 20 is their standard. That's great, but it works when you're paying 25 bucks or 30 bucks for a square foot for space. The numbers just work there, whereas they don't work when you're paying 40, 50, 60 bucks a foot. At least in our opinion, in our risk tolerance, right? We're a risk averse company. We consider ourselves an operator and we consider ourselves a good operator. But we really are also, you know, risk averse. And we always have been. Um, I think that's uh, why Laurent and I uh, have, have been successful in leading our, our company together is that is of my risk tolerance. And that extrapolates into how we handle because we do have outside money. You're well aware that we've raised two rounds of capital over our history, uh, one of which was in 2019. By the way, if Laurent and Scott are raising money, you can expect something really weird to happen because our first one was in 07. Oh, oh God, yeah. Buckle up. And this one is 19 going into 20. So um, the good news about the 19 capital raise is we'd only placed about 25% of it prior to COVID. And we just obviously were, had the privilege and pleasure to slam on the brakes and just take a time out for a year and let 2020 unfold. And we had capital on the sidelines. And it was a great feeling to be in to know that we were able to preserve that investor money and capitalize when the opportunities come. And thus, now we're getting some great some great opportunities. So we, as a company, did take in outside capital. It's not massive relative to some fund rounds that you read about. Uh, but for us, it's in our comfort zone. It's in our risk zone, in our wheelhouse of, of what we like to do. Yeah, I love the conversation, which is part of what you were having on stage at the conference, is you have to do deals that line up with where you want to put the risk. Yeah. 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 
like yeah. the guys at Kiln who are doing those huge build outs and they raise the money to pay for the build out, but they will do kind of the below market lease to get through that. It's an interesting. Yeah, they put in their own TIs. We don't spend a dollar on TIs. It's right. Really not, it's not, it's for, uh, I mean, it, you know, if we spend one, it's, you know, the dollar that Scott goes over when he manages $110 square foot budget and he goes to $111.49. And I hear about it from my CEO and my board because there's no value in it. There's no return on that. It's just great. You Nobody bought some faucets that. and some lights that had to be in anyway. It's like, great. So, yep. Hey, I just wanted to jump in really quickly before we continue with our discussion. If you're working on opening a co-working space, I want to invite you to join me for my free masterclass, three behind the scenes secrets to opening a co-working space. If you're working on opening a co-working space, I want to share the three decisions that I've seen successful operators make when they're creating their co-working business. The masterclass is totally free. It's about an hour and includes some Q&A. If you'd like to join me, you can register at everythingcoworking.com forward slash masterclass. If you already have a co-working space, I want to make sure you know about Community Manager University. Community Manager University is a training and development platform for community managers, and it can be for owner-operators. It has content training, resources, templates from day one to general manager. The platform includes many courses that cover the major buckets of the community manager role from community management, operations, sales and marketing, finance, and leadership. The content is laid out in a graduated learning path. So the community manager can identify what content is most relevant to them, depending on their experience, and kind of jump in from there. We provide a live brand new training every single month for the community manager group. We also host a live Q&A call every single month so that the community managers can work through any challenges that they're having or opportunities, get ideas from other community managers, build their own peer network. We also have a private Slack group for the group. So if you're interested in learning more, you can go to everythingcoworking.com forward slash community manager. Okay. So I think you said, you know, you run a pretty good company, you raised some capital. I think you run a great company. You've been successful. You made it through COVID. And also you have a great team and a great culture. And you've maintained that. I'm sure there have been some ups and downs through the years. You've been doing that for a long time. So I feel like, like I said, we have to pick some other topics to do more episodes on, but I want to talk about kind of your team. And as you're growing, what does it look like? Let's start with the location level. How do you staff your location level? And then I want to take it up a notch. I think there are a lot of operators out there. I know there are who are struggling with this, you know, how do I grow and scale? What does that look like? And how do I manage that, you know, financially? So I would just love to hear a little bit about what your structure looks like, and then maybe take a step back to the early days. And how did you manage to, you know, make the trade-off? Because you mentioned being risk averse and that this business is paying mortgages and, you know, you guys are all in, right? So yeah, talk about that a little bit. So the staffing structure is beginning at the center level because our portfolio has some centers with slightly different physical size and by extension, number of people, number of virtual plans. We staff according to the needs of the specific location. We do have a small handful of locations running with one person locally, 
with an area manager above them that will fill in in the event of sickness. And we have rovers in, you know, in the Bay Area, we have rovers in Sacramento. So we have some part-time people that can go fill in. But typically there's a community coordinator and a community manager on site. And then the real busy locations will have a third person, either full-time or part-time, depending upon the needs. Uh, And sometimes that third person's entire responsibility is to sort mail. Believe it or not, good old-fashioned mail. Mail sorting, mail stuffing, mail forwarding, mail scanning, all of the different plans that we offer, you know, whether it's electronic through Sphere Mail, which has become super, super popular and will continue to boom. So the community coordinator then, you know, kind of runs the front reception meeting rooms and does that along with the community manager. And then the community manager works with the area manager, the managing partner on sales, staff management, and doing all of the other things that aren't getting done by the others. So. It's a tier there. And as I mentioned to you earlier, when we were talking is clustering is important to us because of staffing. Can't have rovers without a cluster. All can come to Walnut Creek. Walnut Creek can go to Oakland, San Francisco. And they know all the operating procedures and they know how to greet members. And yeah. 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 We use Yardy Cube everywhere, which is uh, one of our our most amazing trusted partners that we've been with them. uh, I was going to say, right. (laughs) Back when, uh, for those of you out there in the industry land that know Victor and Dale, Dale had sold out and Victor's uh, still with Yardy and it was one of the principals there. But no, we grew up with them. And honestly, the sale to Yardy, I think, was a fabulous move for everyone involved, um, especially those of us on the end user side, because we do have the same systems and processes in every location. You know, subtle differences, of course, everything takes on a local flair. Um, I think that's kind of also who we are creating a culture is that somebody might have a localized idea and they do it and they implement it. And then, and then the area manager will get wind of it and the area or actually our partners and managing directors, managing partner has some equity, managing director doesn't have equity at this time. So we have a couple of those as, as our structure has evolved over the years, but then they have their own group, right? And so they share best practices and we have a, a real sharing culture. I mean, you know, our, Core value is we care, right? We care about everybody. We care about our employees and our partners and our vendors and our customers. But the team itself creates a culture of sharing and collaboration that it's like, hey, I've got a a holiday flyer that we're going to be closed on Thursday and Friday of Thanksgiving. If you want to use mine and just put your location or whatever your little subtle twist is, yeah. location will close at two, some will close at one. But we have some standardizations and they so you don't have to reinvent it 20 times. And it doesn't come from the centralized corporate. It's done more at the ground level, right? Some of that stuff. Um, so what is to go your, further? Yeah, go up a level and yeah. go further with how we're structured. Um, and this evolved. This didn't happen overnight. We have a separate finance team. We have a separate marketing team. So the marketing team has a certain number of dedicated staff that run our website. They run our pay per click. They work with our any outsource partners on you know things they don't do. Like I think you know they set up the trust pilot. They work with Yelp, they work with Google, and they work with Google, and they work with Google, and they still work with Google. Anyway, that's uh, pretty much pretty much the lifeblood of uh, this industry, for those of you that are aware of that. And that's fortunately an area that doesn't come across my desk very often, so I'm pretty excited about that. We have a dedicated IT team. We have two dedicated IT people, one that primarily focuses on high level, which is Felton, our IT director. And, I think uh, everybody listening, that's like their dream state. <laughs> to have an in-house IT guy who can just do all yeah. the things. And then there's a guy that is his assistant, but really specializes on the voice side. 
for those of you that know or don't know, Clavio is our sister company, and there's, it's a very fun, intensive operation over there. And so he specializes in running that telecom solution along with the outsourced partners that they provide phone answering to that are not even the Pacific portfolio, as well as the entire Pacific portfolio. So they are very busy up there. It's mostly headquartered in Sacramento, but given COVID, um, we're even a little more decentralized that now we've got we've got totally remote technology and people can work from their homes and, and do that. But we still bring a small team in on a daily basis as best we can. It's a little bit better for management, but we found that we had to adjust. Right, There were people that you could find human capital that was willing to do it from home, but wasn't willing to come to an office during COVID. That was obvious as COVID has, has started to depart us in its past form. We've been flexible with some continuing to do that. The labor markets are tight. Everyone knows that. And so you've got to pick your battles. Yeah. Obviously, on site in the centers, we need staff. Right? Got to have. What we yep. Do. We create hospitals. Yeah. You know, the, the, the other thing that um, like you and I were kicking around is what's the same or what's changed or something about looking backwards. Well, what's changed is hospitality. Back in the day, people were just looking for a private little room to get out of, and yeah, it was fun to talk about the football game at the water cooler, and that actually really was the water cooler back in the day with the five gallon bottle in it. I'm going to date myself with eight track tapes and all. But, uh, you know, people really, uh, I think, and especially um, now and moving forward, they really are re-engaging the social side. There's some folks that have let that part of their life maybe struggle a little more or suffer a little more than, I don't want to say than they should have. It's just, you know, it happened. Um, And we provide some awesome, I mean, we're providing events. Uh, I I house, as you know, in the Walnut Creek location, and they are doing them almost every other week, something, some bigger, some smaller. But I think it's interesting because I had even told my manager, are we doing too many of these? And I was going to say, you know, when, does, when does the CFO jump in and wonder? She goes, you know <laughs> what? Even if five people come and the next time 20 people come, those five people, it makes their day, makes their week. And they look forward to it and they come. And we can't time um, how often we're going to have a lot of people in or a few people in because there's still this tremendous amount of flexibility and fluidity. Yeah. amongst the workforce as to when they're coming to the office and when it's not Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays are busy. It's really still hit and miss. And it's not every day is busy or every day is slow and some locations busier than others. And just like any portfolio or um, anything. So, you know, she said, no, she said, we're going to keep doing it. And, uh, and they, you know, the good news about doing that, they reuse things, right? They don't, it's not, they dial in, they don't cater in a bunch of, you know, they're really smart about how they, they drive the the events and, and with food and beverage and and make sure things are resealable and I mean obviously some things are perishable and, and bought for this specific event but they try and gauge kind of what they'll need yeah you should have come sooner and, and the, we'll, your annual football pool absolutely <laughs> which can be pool. done virtually lost, just to, <laughs> you know, these things I know these things go into an archive but I lost last night's Thursday night football game so frustrating <laughs> chose the I always choose the, you know, I almost always choose the home team on Thursdays, right? It's a short week on the road for the uh, road team right, right. Sunday, and they've only got three days. And the Washington Red, it was an absolutely awful game. The NFL really needs to do better on Thursday nights. We could go down that rabbit hole, and people would be like, "I thought this was a flex like chat," and they're talking about football, <laughs> not football, and football. Go 49ers. I want to uh, check that. Okay, so marketing, finance, IT. Anything we're yes, yeah, so they sit on top and support the entire portfolio, and in some cases, you know, they they work remotely. They work, you know, they'll come into the staff and things like that. IT obviously comes in a little bit more than marketing does um, onto the staff and, or excuse me, into the locations. But we we evolved here, and so I think you wanted me to sort of say, you know, for those that are struggling to figure out how to staff. When we first started, Laurent was finance. 
And, you know, we had an accountant and then, you know, he ran the books and, you know, we got a bookkeeper. I didn't do books. He was too valuable as we were, you know, getting a startup going. So we had a bookkeeper and then we had a full-time bookkeeper, Mark, the great Mark. So who did marketing in the early days? Laurent. Okay. Laurent was the original keyword guru that put the Excel spreadsheets together with the keywords and figured all that out. So Laurent ran the finance early and the marketing early. He still does. I run the finance more day to day now and, and month to month. And, you know, we have weekly calls where he's in and he sees his reports. And then and, and certainly, as I always say, and, and I'm sure he'll listen to this, you know, I started having my annual audit in the first quarter of the year when we're doing tax returns and he goes through and sort of checks my work and sort of like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't not look at it throughout the yeah. year. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, for those of you out there, it's not that case, but he's allowed that to be something that I'm more responsible for. So I've got IT, HR and finance that are IT and HR are really under me and then finance we share, but really I run day to day and he runs it. He's the official CFO of the company and both by education and by experience and knowledge, you know, that that should be his role. So, and then as the CEO, he oversees marketing and then he oversees, you know, strategy, right? And he does most of the landlord negotiations he's in charge of because he's just an incredible negotiator. He's an incredible visionary. And his background is being in the asset manager shoes, working for corporate America at Sun Microsystems and HP when he ran real estate. He understood what things looked at from a, or from a, purely financial and non-emotional manner, what makes sense and what doesn't. And that's what drives deals. You know, some people, you know, take your emotion out of a deal, put it on the table. It's a math problem that's driven by risk, reward, your ability. You know, what can you lose? What can you put in? What are you willing to put in? And what are you willing to put in and never see again? That's called risk. And so Laurent's really good at that. And and he drives that. And then he works obviously on our, on our boards with our, drives the, presentations and reports and stuff like that to them as well. So that's it. We evolved. You know, I answered yeah. phones when I first got into this business at the front <laughs> desk. And, and that's the honest truth. That's how you know what goes on in your business is just sometimes you start there. And then so you, tell you, me about the thought process because you two are fiscally responsible and you refer to yourself as risk averse. When you were on the edge of like when you're thinking about, okay, we, we need to add a marketing person or we need to add the IT person? Like, are you, you know, so far into that pain that you can't take it anymore and there's budget for it? Or are you like getting a little out over your skis to make that hire and, and hope it's the right decision? That's a good question. But I think that I'm going to answer that. There has to be a budget. It has to, how do we pay for it? That's always part of the question. How do we pay for it? And the temptation in this business at a scale of 20, actually even a scale at five, and maybe even three. I, and I know we're, we're doing this for ourselves to, to catch up, but we're also sharing our knowledge here. The temptation is to say, well, it's only, you know, $100 a month for each location, right? Or it's only, yeah. And, and now we got 20 locations. So now it's only $300 a month to hire a new marketing person. Per oh, that's not that bad. Well, get the time out, you know, be real, real careful about that strategy because it's been in our thinking, but, you know, but no, it's like, that's not how it works. There has to be a more, you know, we really need to drive, you know, more more uh, search engine optimization. Okay, you know, do we have in-house talent that can do it? Yes, but they're spread thin. Okay, what does an outside partner look like? What does a part-time consultant look like that does that as a specialty? Okay, well, this is what that costs for this many hours or this much work or whatever it is. And I really, I can speak to this more on the IT side. Felton used to be our outsourced IT partner, right? He used to work for a company that supported us, right? So and then not full time, right? So that was a no. That came the day when, 
So then came the day when I had to call the owner of that company and say, hey, I guess I need to ask your permission. <laughs> I'd like to hire Felton full time. And it was one and it happened to be a client. It was one of our locations that we had done a lot of work with and they they understood and it was sort of like like this is a good move for him and it never be a win-win. But that's it. You, you know, a lot we've used a lot of outsourced partners and then, you know, bring in um, in-house. And so I think that's the same way our marketing team evolved and the business tells you where the pressure points are, right? That's part of being a leader is understanding where your pressure points are. Your employees will give you feedback or, you know, it's like, hey, we're buried. I think one of the things that Laurent and I are really proud of is we're really efficient. I mean, we have three finance people that run 20 locations in our investment company books and our um, do the cloud stuff. And that's like three and a half and stuff. And, and um, you know, the IT is two people. Now, part of that is tools. Part of that is having really, really, really good tools and really, really good processes. And, about, you know, and Laurent is a process non-emotional process, data-driven CEO. And he has set up a lot of the tools along the way. He continues to evolve them. He continues to bring us new ones. He's much better at that than I am. I'm more, you know, I think I'm a little more of the gregarious people person on some, <laughs> of, our, some of our journeys. But we work well together and we, we each have our strengths and, and skills. But Laurent is very process-driven and, and teaches all of us how to be process-driven in our responsibilities. Made me, an, you know, a much better COO, understanding how to Otherwise, you're just sticking your finger in the dam all the time, right? Is there but a process? But I think it's hard to be process driven, especially for the like entrepreneurial, you know, CEO that likes the big picture. And that's one of the things I think I admire about your team is, you know, you've had some success. It could be tempting to, you know, kind of chase some squirrels or get a little too far out over your skis. And you guys are really, really focused on like you 80 20, the, heck out of your business, right? Like, you know what you need to focus on. You put yeah. systems in place. You've got your weekly marketing and you you focus. You really like your virtual office. Like that's big because you just relentlessly focus on growing it. And I think there are so many that that is like one of the things I always share, you know, your website as an example of look at these guys model, do what they do on the outside, but on the inside, you have metrics, you're tracking, like everybody's looking at those numbers and trying to grow those numbers. Um, yeah, there's, yeah. We have weekly meetings for the functionals. The IT has a call, the finance has a call, marketing has a call, the area managers and are, you know, our managing partners and managing directors, they work with their teams and I don't meddle in that too much unless necessary. So you let each silo work and then we have a an extended executive management group meeting once a month and we get together and our Jacob our, from our finance team presents us a report a quarter or a report of a month, not a report a quarter, sorry. And we have, we work on occupancy, we work on BOs, we work on pricing. And when we're in those reports, it is the time to really focus on any subtle shifts or adjustments. And then we leave those with action items, right? We'll come back in four weeks with those action items. And, and that's how you evolve pricing. That's how you involve uh, evolve product. And that's how you evolve process. It's like we've been doing this at this price. It's taking uh, the demand of it's really picking up. And then, and then sometimes Laurent will direct a handful of locations to manually track a certain task for a month or a week or whatever it is he wants to know. And he'll do that. And he collects that data. And he goes through it. And I remember there was one time where there was a manager that was complaining about the virtual office stuff. And 
and say, oh, that client's just so annoying and blah, blah, blah. And what we found out was when we had like three annoying clients and we had like 300 that we never right. even talked to, right? <laughs> never so, hear from, so, yeah. <laughs> Okay, sorry. The three three people are yelling and screaming. Deal with it. That's called life, right? That's just say, baby. That's life. Um, not everybody is going to be satisfied one hundred percent of the time. But if two hundred ninety seven of them are fine and sending you checks and getting services delivered to them, um, that's a win. That's data that takes out the emotion. Yep. yep, totally right. So the focus, the systems, and use that to try to take the emotion out to run the business. And talk a little bit about. You know, you just mentioned your, so this was your annual, your pack day, which is, yeah, 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 get off site. And you also do quarterly meetings. Can you just talk like a little bit about how that plays into your culture? Yeah, so I'll start, I'll start with the quarterlies and then I'll go up to the crescendo, which is the pack day annually. So quarterly, we get um, the team together and that's uh, usually the managers, the managing partners and the functionals get together somewhere in, you know, in the region uh, in person. And we have an agenda and we'll have different topics and those topics will vary and there'll be training. But a lot of it, again, this comes from Laurent's office is when we're together, he wants us to collaborate. He wants us to break out into teams. He wants us to take advantage of being together and thinking, um, not just not just one way listening, which to be honest, a lot of it now you can do on Zoom when it's just one way, top down, talk, talk, talk. So it's a lot of that's break out little, you know, break into groups of three or break into down a you know a scenario or something that we do so those are the quarterly management meetings and then of course you have lunch and you have social time and you get to see everybody right everybody at the management level gets together and, and bond and then in the fall close the office on columbus last indigenous indigenous people day and we bring everybody together to an event and we fly you know vegas flew in and reno drives over the hill and everybody gets together we close the offices there is no mail that day and we have an event. And this year, as we started off at the top of the podcast, we were in uh, the Livermore Wine Country and uh, we had a presentation that uh, Laurent and the whole team put, you know, it's just, I mean, it was almost a gig file for this PowerPoint. Super fun. Um, and we share everything we did looking back and we share everything um, we see moving forward and we celebrate our wins and we celebrate our new locations and we celebrate our people and we celebrate all the, you know, the things that we've done. And, and, and really what we do is we also inform. You know, you work in downtown Sacramento and you don't really know what the entire vision of the company is or you don't really get a feel for it. And so we go through the presentation that starts off in the morning around 930 and it goes till just before noon. And, you know, and we end by letting everybody know we care. Right. That's our core value is we care. And we try to not talk it once a year. We try to live it and walk it. And really, I think our employees and our culture will tell you whether or not that's been successful. And you've been part of us. Uh, back in our uh, working together days. And, and I think you felt it when you were, you were there and I feel pretty good about it, but really it's, it's, a, it's a case of if you run into people that work for us, you have to ask them. I, I don't think I can, I don't think it's coming to my office or like, yeah, we're, we, we loved ourselves, but you know, we've had, I think relative to the industry, we've had minimal turnover. We have people stay with us a pretty long time and we've had people return to us um, and more than one. We have many antidotes. I love that. And we also have yeah. we also have siblings that work for us and we have parents and children that work for us. So I think that speaks pretty highly of uh, if you worked in a toxic environment, I don't think you'd bring your kid into it. And if you worked in a toxic environment, I don't think you'd bring your sibling into it unless you didn't like your sibling and you want to get your kid in there and then you're going to bail out. But that's not been the case. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, anyway. I- it's a huge commitment, right? It's a huge time commitment for the yeah, management. It's team. huge time and money. It's an investment that we feel pays 
Pack day is, is a massive investment in time, the amount of hours that go into the presentation and the preparation and then the capital that it takes to put it on. It is so rewarding to have everybody in the room and talking and meeting and you know, IT goes, gets to meet people they haven't seen in marketing, especially because they don't get out as much. They get oh, to meet right. everybody. All these people that you've emailed and Zoomed with, right. there you are. And as we mentioned, we did this, you know, palette. Everybody's painting, sitting next to each other, drinking a little bit of wine, having a good time, just really enjoying and celebrating, you know, the, the opportunity to be together and be, you know, it's uh, we make work better and making work better is making work with people and, and having uh, serendipity and, and all that. So, yeah. Yeah. And feeling a part of something bigger. One other thing I want to interject in, yeah. and I meant to say earlier, and then I was just about to say it in that last segment, is that you were talking about the investment impact day. When we first talked about like Laurent and I and you and I and everything like this, I got to tell everybody out there, make the investment to go to the industry conferences. <laughs> The global works. The re, I met Laurent at the Global Workspace Association um, oh, in, two, really? in 2001, right after 9-11. In September of 2001 is when we met. We dated for two years. He moved. Uh, he was just getting out of Sun Microsystems. He bought a, a business that housed foreign exchange students in San Francisco. And so he moved into the San Mateo location. We got to know him. We looked at a bunch of deals and we toured around and Wait, did, we just you own, to, did you run the San Mateo? Was it your, you ran the first Yeah, I had location. a couple of locations prior to partnering with That's what Laurent. I was trying I, to remember about your, yeah, your origin. Yeah, I was, I was in the business, um, you know, seven, eight years before that, just okay. doing two locations and through .com. Honestly, uh, I, 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 but I don't think I was very genius and, and it was very economically lucrative to be in flex space <laughs> and during the .com boom, people just would pay almost anything for space. But then we went through the .com pullback and, and it was time to regroup and create a real business, in my opinion. I mean, we had a real business before, but it, it, had an, it was way out of equilibrium. I mean, that goes back to what I was saying about buying long and selling short. Well, I was right. buying long on 30 bucks a foot. You're in the market a little lucky. To... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was all good. Sometimes you get a little lucky, but you know, I've been through the other cycles okay, too. Okay. So, so what was Laurent doing at the conference? He was evaluating the business. He had already toured us and was telling, you know, had told us he might want an office space. When I went to his home in his basement, he has his, has his office down in his basement in the in the Bay Area, which isn't not everybody has basements in the Bay Area, but his house was on a hill. So I was going to say, I don't know anyone. Too much detail. But anyway, he had a map. He had a map of the San Francisco Bay Area on the wall, and he had all these dots of every HQ, every Regis, every independent. He'd been everywhere. So he had done his research, right? He had gone out and he had gone all the way around to every location to really understand the flex market. And when he was at Sun Microsystems, he had brought, you'd have to ask him exactly what the name of the program was, but basically working in the more remote locations and and being able to be flexible. And so he was one of the originators of that. And then it was time, you know, his son went through its its transition in the 01 and then into the early 2000s, Laurent escaped that. And he got tired of, uh, I don't want words in his mouth, but my recollection is he was tired of traveling, missing his kids' soccer games and always being on an airplane and he wanted to, you know, in an entrepreneurial vein and he wanted to give it a shot. And so having come from running my locations earlier in my career and then going through the dot-com bust and realizing there were some great opportunities out there to stay in this business, I realized that really to do what I needed to do to make a career of it versus just, you know, sort of an early, you know, dabbling in it early was I needed somebody with a different skill set and happened to find Laurent who had the opposite skill set. Now, come to find out we're two youngest children. So early on, we had our little squalls and you know, <laughs> both were on our way. And 
he was more used to working at nine o'clock at night than I was. I, I was the entrepreneurial flavor, but I wasn't going to work 20 hours a day. And just <laughs> those of you that know me just know that's part of my personality. So, but we found that balance. Uh, we worked through the earlier years and, and found success and found our formula and, and found our niche and, and, uh, the rest is history. It's been an incredible, incredible journey. And I really look forward so you to met, just to finish, continue this, make sure we don't leave this out. You met Laurent at the GWA conference and then we in 2001. And then I must have met you at Juicy in 2012. Somewhere in there. I was going to yeah. finish up on that thought that that's how yeah. you and I met. I mean, we would know each other now anyway, just due to the industry. But that was not only did we meet totally not the same. Uh, I mean, we would know we were each standing other. in the back of the room observing and you just looked at me and walked right up, put your hand out, and said, I'm Jamie Russo. Well, I think Liz was trying to do some sort of yoga session or something like way <laughs> back in the day. And you and I were like, mm. <laughs> yeah, OK, that might have been part of it. But I was in the back of the room going, I don't know if this is totally my cup of tea, but I'm, exactly. I'm having fun. Anyway, yeah, where that was we? so were serendipitous. We were we in Austin, Texas? That was so fun. I no, we were in Kansas City. Been. I met you in Kansas City. Really? I thought it was Kansas City. It maybe might have been. I mean, it was my first one, I think. Oh, maybe it was. I don't remember. Whatever. I can never remember. Either it was one or it was my first or yeah. second one. I don't remember which one. Anyway, um, no, that's. And then as you remember, you learned you were from Chicago. You had just moved to the Bay Area. Your husband had a biotech job out there. Yeah. And uh, I knew no the, one. You might have been the first. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You got to meet my partners. You got to meet my my people. And oh, so I brought oh. you back and you met Becky and Laurent. And next thing we know, we're doing Interspace Palo Alto right there with in the same facility. So that was a great journey. And that was a great run. And as we both know, that uh, lease ended right as COVID was getting going. And unfortunately, <laughs> we had to close that down. But in, in some respects, the lease ending was probably a blessing with respect to, you know, what, what that particular market was. It's been a wild ride. Up. Exactly. Yep. yep. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, both con- both industry conferences, Juicy and GWA, each of the respective groups, they are different. There are some similarities, but what's the same is the ability to network with people that are trying to learn and share. And then, you know, I've always, you know, more so lately, I've I felt like I've give back more than I, you know, but I still get a lot out of it. I still there's still some incredible relationships and and so so much fun. But to think that it equaled dollars and cents and and I talk to some people that just say, well, I just couldn't justify it. Well, if you, I mean, there's one thing if you truly can't afford it. I get, you know, there's priorities in life where the, where the dollars have to go. I get that. But if you reach a point where there, there are some discretionary resources available and you're really contemplating, I can't encourage you enough to go network, learn others. And these will be people that you will call. And these will be people that you will potentially partner with. These will be people that will turn you on to other people, whether it's a broker, a landlord, a yeah. A, a vendor or something that will help you in your business journey. And the other thing, after all these years, I don't know if there's an industry with better people. I don't know what it is about our little our little space, I, our little space in this slice of this great world that we all are walking this journey in. But there's something about flex people that they're just cool. They're just really good. They're people. super cool they're and super fun super and cool. still super smart and super motivated and all the, you know, all the things you want. Agreed. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to end it there. I have to go to another podcast. Scott, we're going to have to have you back on. I have many other topics to dig into. Or key. This was so fun. I'm, I think for about a year and a half, I just was like in survival mode, dealing with the fires at the at the house, meaning sort of like in our business yeah. and, and all the energies and Zooms with landlords and Zooms with employees and Zooms with all the different outside sources that we had to consult with as we navigated through Intense. that. And, and now 
now, honestly, I just like I have a little bounce in my step, and it's super, super fun. It was so great to see everybody uh, in, in Texas last yeah. the conference. So great to do this with you, and uh, would love to again anytime soon. Certainly, let's not go seven years. I mean, that, let's that's not go seven years. Well, that's yeah, embarrassing for both of us, totally. And <laughs> because you guys run an incredible shop, and you have so much to give, and so I appreciate because I know even if you have a little bounce in your step and feel like you know picking your head up and giving back you know, that that's what you're doing. And and thank you for sharing your experience, your insight. Very much appreciated. You know, if people reach out to you to find me, you know, uh, you can always turn, turn them on to me and I'll share whatever I can. I'll send them along. Take awesome. care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, tell a friend, hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. It makes a huge difference in helping others like you find us. If you'd like to learn more about our education and coaching programs, head over to everythingcoworking.com. We'll see you next week.